Uh, I have uh, awesome uh, privilege this morning to uh, introduce our guest preacher. Uh, I went to Divinity School at Duke with Dewey Williams, and it's really intimidating to go uh, to to school with someone that is in their second career because Dewey, like I just showed up. I didn't even know how to study, but Dewey had already had uh, a career in social work uh, behind him uh, from his days in Denver, Colorado. And then he and his wife uh, had settled into Durham um, and have served in about every capacity. He's a Renaissance man uh, over at Mount Level Baptist Church. Uh, He preaches over there. Uh, serves with their marriage ministry, has recently uh, become the director of their um, kind of uh, social uh, uh, entrepreneurship kind of justice initiative uh, over there, uh, has also been a gardener, so he fits really well in this uh, Oak Church community. Um, but uh, one of the reasons I invited Dewey, aside from that, I, he's got an engraved invitation to always come preach at Oak Church, uh, is that when we're doing this series this summer and uh, into the fall on the book of Philippians, it, it, it tends to be a letter that we, we uh, associate with joy, but it's not, it's not some, some simple joy. It's this, this deep, this joy that's been tested. It's a joy that's been written about by Paul from prison to people suffering. And so uh, when, uh, when we were planning uh, uh, this series uh, called Joy Complete about Philippians, right about that time I was meeting with Dewey and he was telling me about these, these sermons that he was preaching in some of the, the local correctional facilities over in Raleigh and in Butner, um, and specifically to men on death row. And most of these sermons were about joy about the joy of the lost son and the father, or uh, today, uh, this sermon called Incarcerated Joy, about Paul and Silas singing in, in prison. And he was talking about these sermons he was preaching, but also these sermons he was submitting into a contest. And Dewey doesn't brag a lot, so I'll brag for him. He, he put some of these sermons into a contest that Yale University was running about joy, and he kind of downplayed it and said, I don't, I don't know if they want these these prison sermons in this contest, and Dewey won first prize in this contest, like national contest. So uh, it's a, it is a joy and an honor uh, to welcome Dewey. Uh, I'm gonna invite Larry to come and read our scripture for today, and then we'll welcome uh, our friend Dewey. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'll be reading from the book of Acts, 16 to the 28th verse. And they were going to the place of prayer. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of the divine nation and, and brought her owner much gain by smooth, by smooth singing. She followed Paul and us, crying, these, these men, these men are servants of the most highest God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And and this this you did for many days, but Paul was ignored and turned and said unto the to the Spirit, I charge you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out. And that very hour, both but when she was 
But when her owner saw that those, their hope of gain was gone, they decided, and Paul and Paul and Silas was dragged, dragged them into the place, into the marketplace before the ruler. <clears throat> and when they was brought, when they brought them into the into the ministry, they said, "These men are the Jews, <clears throat> uh, the Jews, and they were distributing our." disturbing our city. They were advocating customers with, with which it was not lawful by the Romans to accept or, or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and, and the magistrate tossed them, <clears throat> tossed their garments off of them and gave orders to, to beat them with rods. And when they when they was inflicted much blows upon them, they threw them into the prison, charging charging the jailer to keep them safe. But having received this charge to put them into the inner prison and fasten them their feet in these in the stock. <clears throat> But but among but about midnight, Paul and Silas was praying and singing hymns to the to the to the gods, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly was in a was suddenly was in a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison was shaken. And immediately all the doors was open, and even and everyone fastened was unfastened. <clears throat> when the jailer woke and saw the prisoner's door open, he drew he drew his sword and was about to kill them, supporting the prisoner and escaping. But Paul cried out in a loud voice. Do not harm yourself, for for we for we are all here. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you. Good morning. It's a blessing to be here and to be back at Oak Church. My wife came. My wife and I came here. Um, I don't know, a month or month and a half ago, and we were really blessed and enjoyed our time of being here with you. And I'm just glad to be back with my friend Chris. We uh, journeyed together, the journeys at uh, Duke Divinity School. Um, we had to take some classes together, some of the most dreaded classes uh, we had to take together, church history, <laughs> uh, that's all of when you're in your first year, you have to take that. It's, it's not an option. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it's pretty demanding. But we had, we had some classes together, and we shared together. And it's good to be able to come back together and to serve in ministry after being in school. And so I just rejoice 
with him and I'm excited about the work that is going on here at Oak Church. Uh, you all are a blessing and I encourage you and I am inspired by you. I praise God for you. He had mentioned uh, some of my journey and I had a chance to meet his parents and their story is somewhat similar to mine and that they've come here to be near grandkids. And uh, my wife and I came to Durham to be near our daughter and she was getting ready to have the first granddaughter. And so we came here to be near them and so that's very similar. And so I'm glad to make that acquaintance and that connection. Over the last couple of years, I have been, what I would say, driven by the Holy Spirit into prison ministry in a new way. I've been doing prison ministry for the 10 years I've been here. But in the last couple of years, uh, a door just swung wide open for me to go and to do ministry on death row. And I've been doing that. And it coincided with a commitment that I made at the end of 2015. I declared that 2016 was going to be the year of joy. That was, you know, I just said, next year, it's going to be joy. It's all about joy next year. <laughs> and lo and behold, all of a sudden, I'm on death row. And so what am I preaching about when I go on death row? I'm preaching about joy. And it so, happened, it so happened that there was this, this contest at Yale Divinity School about joy, and I submitted my sermons, and God saw fit that my sermons were honored to be uh, the top awarded sermons in that contest. Uh, I, I hesitate to say contest. I have funny feelings talking about sermons and contests because <laughs> what we're all doing is, is, is working in the same direction, not, not competing with one another. And so this is one sermon that I preached, that I've preached on death row on, in January of this year, and I've refitted it for us today. Seven years ago, I visited the Castle of Good Hope in Cape Town, South Africa, while on a tour of this ancient facility built under Dutch rule, they took us into the prison where prisoners were held for capital crimes and were there to be tortured uh, in an attempt to get them to confess. Men had been found guilty of a capital crime and they were going to be put to death, but they wanted these men to confess that what they had done. The first thing they showed us this one room where they had the men would be tied to the wall and they would be beaten with whips and they would try to get them to confess. If that didn't work, they took us to another room where there, it was ceiling not quite this high, but it was high up and down was a rope with a hook on the end and they would bind the men's feet and hang them upside down trying to get them to confess what they had done. And if that didn't work, they took us to this room and it was the walls were thick, 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 thick room. And when you closed the door, there were no windows, there was no light. It was utter, complete darkness. And while we we're in there, 
they closed the door. And after about a minute, a woman in our tour group said, I confess. <laughs> she did not want to be in the darkness any longer. And if that didn't work, they executed the men anyway. All of this was to try to get them to confess. As I reflected on that tour and thought about our text today, I wonder could the joyful worship experience of Paul and Silas from the book of Acts, uh, could it have been repeated today on death row? Then I wondered about those that are locked up here in our world on death row in central prison where I went. I wonder, could they have a joyful experience? The term joy is in its dictionary definition, means the emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. That means something happens, and the thing that happens makes you feel good. Christian joy has another definition. Christian joy is an assurance that God uses circumstances to bring to believers good feelings that rest not on events, but on God's work in their life. The difference is that Christian joy, under, uh, Christian joy understands that God intentionally is working to bring us joy as opposed to joy being happenstance. Somebody needs to hear that. Joy is just not a happenstance. This happens and I'm joyful. It is God is at work in our lives, bringing joy into our lives. Incarceration in the, in the common, is a common term that indicates that varied states of people that are locked up in jails and penal institutions. If you are in the custody of a branch of the justice system, you are incarcerated. The, base, uh, the basic premise of prisons uh, are to keep the wrongdoer segregated from the rest of society. And the religious component to prison is to force a wrongdoer into a frame of mind where they will repent are become penitent. That's where the word penitentiary comes from. They are to become penitent for their wrongdoing, for their wrong behavior. I need you to know that the criminal justice system is not the only form of imprisonment that people face. As a matter of fact, we all have some form or measure of incarceration in our lives. We are locked in our bodies, Locked in our thoughts, locked in our geography, locked in our relationships. To be human is to live with some amount of incarceration. Somebody here is locked up today at Oak Church. Somebody here is locked up in debt. Visa is your warden. MasterCard is your guard. American Express is your cell walls. 
Your house payment has established a wall so high around you, you can't afford to go anywhere. Your car payment is so much, you can't afford to buy gas. You're incarcerated in debt. Some others might be locked up in addictive behaviors. You know, in, in jail, there's, a, there's a, 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 a correctional officer that tells you what time to get up. Some of you are locked in addictive behaviors. Cigarettes tell you what time to get up. You're locked up in food addiction. Driving around from McDonald's to KFC to Wendy's to Bojangles. You got an addiction. You're, 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 you're locked up. Others are locked up in alcohol and drug addictions. Uh, drug addictions that separate you from family and separate you from friends and separate you from careers and separate you from what truly uh, is, uh, is enjoyable in life. Their, your consumption can be a form of lockup. Yet others are in relationship lockup. Marriage is a form of lockup that we generally prescribe as a healthy personal and societal definition, destination I mean. It is the destination that you arrive at that frees two individuals to explore one another's personality and to see romance bloom to the height of its possibility. Marriage is that island you land on where you find love and happiness and peace. Somebody here is saying, I didn't land on that island. <laughs> Malcolm X says, uh, we didn't, uh, uh, the, the phrase is, we landed on Plymouth, Plymouth Rock. Plymouth Rock landed on us. Somebody here said, I didn't land on that island of marriage. Marriage landed on me. But marriage can be a form of relationship lockup. The question arises out of observing the lockups that we face. Can there be joy in lockup? When you are confined by someone or something else, is it possible to enter into a joy-filled experience? My answer to that question is resoundingly yes. Not only is it possible, it should be a preferred behavior when you are locked up and incarcerated. In our biblical account covered today, we find Paul and Silas are incarcerated. One day they were in the city of Philippi, and you all have been studying and, and, and hearing about Philippi. They were in Philippi on their way to pray when a young slave girl started following them around and mocking their preaching and teaching. Using pagan language, she said they were servants of the Most High God and proclaimed the way of salvation. Her pagan language exposed her as not being a true friend to them. The slave girl was a fortune teller who made profit for her owners based on her perceived knowledge of future events. People would come to her and ask her, what was going to occur and her owners would charge them for whatever insight she was able to provide. 
Paul heard her comments and saw her livelihood as not of God. Paul saw that an evil spirit possessed her. So he turned to her and using classic exorcism language, said to her, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. He said that to the evil spirit. The record reports that the spirit came out of her that very hour. By the power of this great act of God delivered through Paul, this woman is no longer a detriment to the kingdom of God and to Paul and Silas. This story probably would have ended here, except there were her owners that were making money off of her fortune telling. Now this spirit of fortune telling is gone and she is worthless to the owners. Her owners were mad. If you wanna make somebody mad, mess with their money. Amen. Somebody said amen. Mess, mess with their money and, and you'll get them mad. They were mad because someone that they had control over has been taken away and they no longer were able to use this young slave girl's body or spirit for their gain. They were angry. We must be careful not to allow anger to rule as the governing emotion as we make our life choices. Anger will mess you up and somebody else up along with you. When anger governs, it usually just makes you feel bad and makes things worse. This anger drove these businessmen to form an ancient Make Philippi Great Again movement. The business owners got together and they, they seized control of the attention of the crowd while gathering a crowd of angry people around them. They let the magistrate, they let the magistrates know that they were mad and they wanted something to happen because of this. They wanted to return to the good old days when owners made profit off of slave girls. We must be careful today in 2017, for one, I don't wanna go back to those days when slave owners made profit. Somebody might want to, but I sure don't want to because it's not right. And I can't, I hadn't prepared this, but I was just thinking late last night, you know, there's, there, there, there might be someone that thinks that there's a slave girl at ESPN who can forecast, who can tell the future about games, but she's not supposed to say anything about politics when somebody's out of bounds and they want to, they want to, they want to control her. And we have to be careful that we don't get caught in moving back to an era that has gone by, that needed to have left us long ago. We find the magistrates acting on the recommendation of, of the slave girl's owners and had Paul and Silas stripped of clothes, beaten with rods and placed in prison with special instructions to the jailer to keep them secure. The jailer places them in the innermost cell to avoid any chance of escape. 
Additionally, the jailer fastened Paul and Silas' feet to the stock. And this brings us to the focus of the text that we speak directly to, uh, about. The text says that it was about midnight when joy was being expressed by Paul and Silas. Can you imagine this? Here they are locked up in the innermost part of the prison at midnight. Now, I doubt that it was technically 12 a.m. midnight. Rather, midnight suggests that it was the middle of the night. It was the hour when sunsetting was a substantial memory and sunrising was some time in the distance. Midnight is a dangerous hour and one could easily say, I give up in the midnight hour. Paul and Silas are remembered not for their despair, but for their expressions of joy by praying and singing in the midnight hour. They prayed and sang as, as attempts were made to steal the joy from their lives. To you, my friends here at Oak Church, you, like everyone else, feel that midnight hour from time to time. Understand this truth. God made joy for your midnight hour. I don't know if I'm talking to anybody here. I'm talking to myself. If you don't get anything, I got this. I have some midnight hours. So, some times when it seems like the sun setting is a long way behind me. And, and the sun rising, I, I just don't know when it's going to come up. And I can feel like giving up. Anybody in here ever felt like giving up? You can say amen to me. I, I'm used to some amens. Anybody in here ever felt like giving up? Oh, it's at the midnight hour that you ought to pray and you ought to sing. Oh, don't, don't give up. Don't give out because God made joy just for that moment. It's time to express your faith in God right then. The text says that Paul and Silas prayed and sang. You need to know that this midnight worship was not their first time praying. Earlier in the chapter, we find Paul and Silas uh, with, uh, with Lydia. And then they're going to pray and they're, you know, they're about prayer then. So this is not something new. They practiced it as they went along. The liturgy was not a complex labyrinth of formalized procedures that followed from a prelude through an invocation to a reciting of a creed onto an offering to a, the praise dancers and then the preached word and then the invitation and then the benediction. No, they didn't have all that. They just prayed and sang. Kind of, kind of basic. Kind of like what we have at Oak Church, right? You ever been to some church worship? You're like, that has really gotten complicated. They, I mean, it, and some of these worship services can get really busy, and you don't know what all is going to happen, and they got all sorts of mysterious things going on. But Paul and Silas prayed and sang. 
That's all you need, Chris. <laughs> I think that's what's working here, as you come together and you pray and you sing. Now, they could have done some other things. They could have had a pity party and blamed themselves for their plight. They could have had a blame game where I kind of imagine Paul saying to Silas, Silas, if you had organized this trip a little bit better, we wouldn't have gotten into jail. And then I could hear maybe uh, Silas turn into Paul and say, Paul, if you had just shut your mouth, we wouldn't have gotten locked up. And so they could have been pointing the finger at each other. But instead of doing that, what did they do? They prayed and they sang. Instead of finding fault, they had a simple liturgy. The joy God has, has placed in them was acted upon in the presence of their most trying adversity. The joy God has placed in them was acted upon in their most trying adversity. And the joy that will come alive in you will come alive in you in your most trying adversity. Something happened when they were praying and singing at midnight. Not because it was midnight, but because there was a joyous partnership in prayer, a solidarity in joyous singing. The earth shook and the prison doors flew open. Often what our lockup needs is a shaking. You know that? Sometimes our lockup needs a shaking. And even more than that, maybe what's needed is I need to be shaken. You might need to be shaken when you find yourself in that adversary place. The shaking took place while in lockup. An interesting development occurred after the shaking. The jailer thought all the prisoners had escaped. It was about, he was about to commit suicide when Paul initiated suicide prevention techniques. Paul said, do not harm yourself. We're all here. This is the primary testimony of believers in Jesus Christ who have faced trying situation. We're still here. Today, somebody here has thought about giving up. Somebody has given up on you. Somebody thought you would skip out. Somebody here at Oak Church has run away from your feelings about life and family and purpose. But my testimony to you today is we're still here. Really, that is what joy is all about. We're all here. That's what the joy is all about. We're all here. That is the lesson of the resurrection. They tried to force an end to the message of Christ. 
they, they, they tried to kill the message of Jesus Christ. They tried to kill the story of Jesus Christ. They tried to kill, oh, the goodness of Jesus Christ. They hung his body high and stretched his body wide. He died on Calvary's cross. They buried him in a tomb and then they sealed it. They were getting rid of the joy. But on Sunday morning, he got up with all power in his hands. Joy lived on. And he could say, I'm still here. And when you have your crucifixion times, those times that take you down and try to take you out, there's a resurrection where we can say, I'm still here. I think that's why you all gather every Sunday. You may not say it, but you come in here saying, I'm still here. Come in and smile at, at, at Pastor Chris and say, I'm still here. Because it's a testimony of the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. And as we think about this, this table right here, it's, it's just us coming together. And it's not so much saying I'm still here, but it's saying we're still here. As community, as family, we find purpose in life and we find joy in Jesus Christ. Yes, there's some incarceration that happens for all of us. Oh, but we're still here because of the love of Jesus Christ. God bless you. God keep you.